I'm doing a one-off message called why. Why? Have you ever asked a why question to God? If you've never had to ask a why question to God, you're probably three. Um, <laughs> um, why questions are somewhat a part of life because it's, it's part of life to not understand and get everything that's going on. Especially when you get thrown a curveball, especially when things go wrong that you didn't expect. Um, and we can have like real, maybe humorous why questions, but why questions can also get deep, get hurtful really fast. I've had some, some, some deep why questions to God. And there might be some, there are still some why questions that I have to manage well myself. And we'll talk about how we do that today. Um, but Life is just what it's just the experience of life just has and lends to the opportunity to want to ask God why a whole lot of times. And honestly, if you've not been had to ask God why, then that is an incredibly blessed place to be in. And I pray and continue that you um, are you stay blessed like that. But also hope that you will remember that if anything happens, then it causes you to have to ask, causes you to want to ask why, that you'll remember how to go about doing that today. Have you asked the why question and then just immediately got an answer and had closure and, and just, just able to move on in life. Again, if you did that, you are immensely blessed. Why questions answers normally are really elusive. They stay kind of like out there in the ether. You feel like there must be an answer. They're like, there should be an answer. It's just not coming to you yet. How many of you have asked the why question and have another human being answer that why question for you? And then you go, nah, that can't be the answer. <laughs> It's like even if somebody attempts to answer the why question, it's almost like sometimes, you know, we just don't want to believe them. Like, which leads me to the question, why do we still ask why questions? I don't know. That's an elusive question. The answer might not ever be found. Um, but I believe that there's something about us wanting to ask this why question that is seated in our perspective of God and, can ha and what, what this morning can help us with is maybe to know how to approach life when why questions come up in our soul. God does not want any of us to live from a place of insecurity and uncertainty. God wants us to live from a place of faith. Faith, if anything, should bring stability and confidence to your heart. Faith is a substance that acts like a placeholder. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, if what we hoped for came about, we don't need faith for it any longer. Right? It manifested. It came. It, be it became real. But until then, if we don't fill something in that void, that void becomes chaotic and crazy. 
what we as Christians put in that void to keep us from going crazy is faith, is trust in God. And when you have not yet received the promise or the thing that you're expecting, and you can fill that space up with faith and trust in God, it gives you the ability to stay, to stay uh, uh, filled up so that you don't get crushed if circumstances becomes rough around you. Circumstances often gets rough around us. And then if we don't have internal filling, then how many of you know a Coke can that is either empty or open can get crushed easily? But one that is still sealed and filled and pressure on the inside, you can get up on it and you can stand on it and it won't get crushed. And I believe that that is the type of life that God wants for every single Christian to be filled up, to be pressured up on the inside and to be sealed off with the Holy Spirit so that we don't get crushed when life starts weighing down on us. When all these why questions start filling up in our hearts. But in order to trust God, we have to get really clear about an aspect of God's character because often when we are not clear about this aspect, it under, it under, um, it, it takes out our faith by the knees. Have y'all heard that expression? Get taken out by the knees. And that is whether God is truly good or not. Is God good? Can he be trusted? And so now I want to talk about that in the background, the goodness of God. Because the goodness of God becomes a real important aspect that we must be convicted of if we are going to be able to trust him, be filled up, be pressured up, be sealed off, and to be able to take the weight that life is going to put on us. Mark 10 verse 18 says this. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he he challenged them on something. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? And so, in fact, what he was really telling them is that you're right in calling me good because I am God. (laughs) But that was a little bit under, under, in between the lines that he was communicating there. But he makes the statement, only God is good. By virtue of that, he also says that I am good. But he challenges their thinking. To just not say that flippantly. How many of you would say, yeah, I believe God is good. And then some scenarios would come up in your mind and you want to say, but it didn't happen that one thing. Jesus wants us to not say those words flippantly. He wants us to really truthfully say that with conviction in our heart. Because to believe in the goodness of God undergirds our faith. It's every victory that we are able to receive out of the word of God is, is, is undergirded or built on this foundation of the goodness of God. If I don't trust the goodness of God, then God's word has a hard time finding its place in my life because I'm always wondering, is it true? Is it trustworthy? Here's the thing is if you truly have a conviction about the goodness of God, it renders an effect in your life. It enables you to trust his word fully. It enables you to have hope for your future. It enables you to be patient in trials have intimacy with God in the waiting times. It makes you able to have joy 
in tribulation, peace in turmoil, and resilience in testing. Having a conviction about the goodness of God will help you gain healing in trauma. And it will lead you to a place of acceptance when you are disciplined. Not trusting the goodness of God will, <laughs> will lead to quite the opposite. Being able to trust God when we don't have everything we're trusting Him for and, and have that contentment is such an such a important part of normal life and, and the existence. How many of you can say with Paul, I've had seasons of abundance and I've had seasons of lack. And God wants us to be able to say along with Paul, in no matter what season I've been in, I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to not rail against God and, and rebel against God in the seasons that things didn't go well with me. But I've also been able to stay faithful to God when it was going really prosperous with me. To have contentment in lack and in abundance, but also to be able to be generous in lack and in abundance. And to even be able to feel when you've been numbed by life's circumstances. Trusting in the goodness of God helps you to receive the promises and helps you to build the faith that you need to go through those moments to get to the other side, to get to the side of victory. The opposite is also quite true. You put that opposite slide up there. If we don't believe in the goodness of God, it often leads to us becoming cynical about life, distrusting his word, lose hope for the future, be impatient in our trials, Grow distant from God in the waiting. How many of you have had a challenge to stay close to God when life didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to turn out? Some of us get bitter in tribulation. We get anxious in our turmoil and, and completely overwhelmed by life in, in, in the moments of testing. Trauma comes, but instead of getting through it, we are destroyed by it. We take offense when we are disciplined and we rebel against God. We rebel against people that wanted to help by bringing the correction. Not trusting the goodness of God leads to discontent and leads to us becoming stingy. And leads to us starting to feel more and more numb even when we're trying to pray. Our prayers don't go past the ceiling. If you can't believe in God's goodness, your faith will be compromised, almost like a corroded water pipe. One day it'll just burst open and it'll just be a mess. And you won't know where to start to bring things back together again. And so it's so important that we lay the foundation of God's goodness in our hearts and minds. And we truly decide that no matter what happens, I will not compromise my view of who God is. I will stay faithful to that commitment and I will trust him to help me work out the details that I'm seeing in front of me to work out for, for my good again at the end of the day. So we often look at this world and we go, but so if God is good, why is there so much evil in this world? How many of you've wondered? Like, I mean, just of late, things are just going nuts, Right. The world is just really going nuts right now. And you wonder sometimes, well, you know, why isn't God doing anything about this? 
But here's something we have to understand is that the evil in the world does not disprove the goodness of God. It actually just proves the absence of God from people's lives. Because if the good God was able to influence the people, then the people would have made a completely different life. They would have led, made completely different choices. And so when we look at all the evil that's currently going on and we're asking ourselves, where's God in all of this? We have to remember where God really is. Where is God? He's in the hearts of men. But he's also not in the hearts of men. And how many of you know that we have authority on this world to do whatever we choose? And if your heart is evil, is disconnected from the only entity that can influence it for good, then whatever the heart is full of, the mouth overflows with. Whatever we speak, we unfortunately over time create. And so we see the chaos in this world. And it's not something that we lay at God's feet. It's something that we have to take responsibility for as men, as, as humankind. When your, child, when your 12-year-old tries to play a Beethoven symphony, and it sounds horrible, do you blame Beethoven for it? Or the child's yet lack of expertise? So God created this world to be good. He created this world to operate and function good. But unfortunately, mankind threw away the expertise, the capacity that God gave it to run this world like a well-played Beethoven symphony. When we submitted ourselves under the devil's guidance, something was taken away from us. It was goodness. It was God's glory. It was God's presence. We lost his standard of moral excellence, moral holiness. And because we're no longer morally holy and excellent, we're unable to play this symphony in the way that it was meant to play. Genesis 1 verse 31, if you can look in your own Bible, you'll see it for yourself. Verse 31, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God made this world very good. And there was evening and the morning and the sixth day. It's, it's so important for us to understand that God meant for this world to be good, but God also meant for this world to stay good. Here's how I know that he meant for this world to stay good. The entity he created that would manage and govern this place was created in his very image. He placed his nature, his character, his authority, his moral excellence in that entity. And then he gave that entity charge, us, over this planet. He wanted this place to go right. He built it right. He enabled it to go right. But he also empowered us to do it right. Unfortunately, we chose to take somebody else's lead other than the one who created us. And that brought about a complete mess. Number one, it removed from us the ability to keep doing life the way God wanted it done. How many of you know if you ask the wrong question, you can never get the right answer? Right? So 
may have, you may have asked this question before. Why can't I just be happy? Instead, you should ask, how can I remain joyful when life is hard? Why is this a better question to ask? Because when you realize what had happened when man followed the lead of Satan, when you truly understand the devastation that that brought in, you won't assume, which is assumed by the first question, that nothing in life is supposed to go wrong. When you truly understand how broken this place is, your assumptions won't be that this world is all supposed to be, what's the right word? Moonshine and rose. No, moonlight, moonlight and roses. Y'all, I've been saying moonshine and roses and all y'all be thinking, man, this guy's dipping a little bit in the background. I'm South African, okay? And in my language, no, listen, listen. In my language, you say moonshine and it's not a drink. <laughs> Some of y'all have been thinking, man, I like this church. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not moonshining in the moonlight. Life is not just moonlight and roses. Is that correct? That's, a, that's how you would say it? My goodness. Sunshine and roses. There ain't no moon in it anyway. Oh, walk of shame. Okay, sunshine and roses. Okay, but y'all need to be interpreting, okay? This is, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. You need to hear right, like... Our president, our president, like, I mean, our previous, one of our previous presidents, I need to show you all that clip, it's screaming funny. But anyways, yeah, yeah he, he can't pronounce long numbers that he has to read, right? So if it's like anything over a million, he just, he just, he can't say it. Like 1,850,000, he just can't do that. And so one day he was doing a speech and he was, for the, I think the fifth time, not saying it correctly, and he went like, <clears throat> Let us listen properly. <laughs> Y'all need to listen properly, okay? <laughs> All right. I'm wasting time. We need to get going. Um, if we truly understand the state of our world, we won't assume that nothing in this life is supposed to go wrong. And that happiness is supposed to be an automatic result of me just showing up. We'll actually assume rightly, and that's what the second question do, does, is that in this life, things can go wrong, but there is hope in finding a way to remain joyful in tough times. How can I remain joyful when life is hard? That will give you a proper answer that you can walk with and tangible stability that you can take a step with that'll lead eventually again to a place of victory over the thing that you're currently experiencing. So I've said that this world is kind of like messed up, but let's, let's consider some of the realities that we're going to face in this world and make sure that we, that we, that we really get a grip on this and, and, and truly accept that, you know, this is real. This is true about our world. The first one is that the devil is real and he is still wrecking havoc and spreading lies about God. Satan is on a rampage to discredit God and his church. That means he's on a rampage to discredit you and your testimony. 
So when you go through a hard time and you lose your faith, then Satan goes, see, God in that, all that. He's able to, he's able to discredit. And that's his hope is to discredit every single person of faith so that nobody else will step out and try to believe. Because the word gets discredited because of the lies. And, and, and you know what? This is what he did in Adam's house. And his strategy hasn't changed much. And if he did it with the first human and he was successful, his plan worked. Why change plans? He's been doing it. And he's still very successful. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? He casts doubt. He tries to change Eve's mind about the goodness of God. He tries to get her to doubt whether God was good in his restriction and his protection measure that he put up for them. And as we know the story, you know, Eve falls for it. She starts doubting whether what God was saying was really for their benefit. She started doubting, um, you know, herself. Because here's the crazy thing is like at the end of the day, he sells her a lie that she's not made in God's image. And that she still has to do something to get to God's image. She already walking in it. And then Adam goes and does the same. And because of that, this world loses the only human entity that had the ability to live this life according to God's standards and according to God's will. And then those humans went on and reproduced and boom, here we all are still faced with that deprivation, faced with that lack of the standard of glory that is needed to fully live in this world according to God's standard. Praise God for Jesus Christ that helps put a reverse on that. But we'll get to that in in, in a while. So he sows doubt in his word which starts discrediting God's character. And then it leads to us trying to follow our own wisdom. Listen to this. Then we get hurt by following our own wisdom. Then we doubt God for allowing us to get hurt. And that wicked cycle just continues. But if we can recognize the cycle and as his kids reject the lie that causes us to doubt his goodness, whether the principles and things that he puts in his word is there to protect us and to guide us into the glory that he made for us from the beginning to walk in. If we can accept that over the lie that causes us to want to doubt God, then we can set up that foundation that'll keep us stable in the midst of turmoil around us. Romans 3 verse 4 says this, Let God be true, though everyone else a liar. For as it's written, you are justified in your words, and you you prevail when you are judged. There is something about God's word that is true, but it's not just true, it's also pure. It's good. That when it is given to us, it's there for our benefit. It's there to preserve us, and it's also there to, if we have been spoiled, to restore us. 
So once again, I want us to just consider this culture that we live in that sees God as maybe good, but also sees that there might be some, you know, some DVA, some devious part that still cannot be trusted. And, you know, that's actually a, uh, we, we spoke last time about the Greeks that created work, you know, to punish people. Um, and then as Christians, if we believe that, we'll see work as punishment and that it really wasn't that. Um, there are also those in the East that believe that God There is no such thing as a pure good God that every deity has some part that is that is some part good and a little bit of evil in him, a little bit of maliciousness, a little bit of something that you cannot trust and that everything that is bad actually has a little bit of good in it that needs to be preserved and needs to be needs to be acknowledged. Well, that split thinking actually doesn't exist in the Christian worldview. In the Christian worldview, God is good and he is only good. And evil is evil and it is only evil. And even in what it so unquote unquote does good, the intent is still evil. And so it makes the blonde bunch evil. See, God works with the standard of holiness and non-holiness, right? So let me, let me, let me ask you this, right? If I took your Coke can and, and I, t- I took just a little droplet of my spit, right? And I just dropped it in there a little bit. It's like, I mean, this isn't all bad. I mean, it's like 90, 99.9995 Coke. Will you drink it? Heck no. Like I just, spe- yeah, but you kiss me. So, you know, that would make sense. We've been sharing DNA since 2016, 2006. But if anybody else here would, like, let me come, let me, let me, let me help you after the service. Okay, y'all, you should not be doing that. Okay. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> the bottom line is when something gets altered, it is no longer the original. It is no longer clean. Even if you put just a little bit of dirt in something, it defiles the lot. And unless you can somehow get that out, which in my analogy, you would not be able to, don't believe it. um, You should not see that as pure Coke anymore. You should not see that as pure in any form or any way. And that's the thing about God's goodness. It's a pure goodness. It's a hundred percent holy goodness. There is nothing in it that can be said as, oh yeah, but what about that? So it's easy for us to sometimes say, yeah, no, God is good, but you know, I think he made me sick to get me to slow down or get me to, you know, learn something. Uh, you'll see how, how, how that would go. God is good, but you know what? I think he made my business fail to, you know, to humble me or I was prideful. So he made my business fail. So He made me lose my marriage, made me lose my kids. He let my friends betray me. Put it in there. What do we, what, we all have had those thoughts where we go like, yeah, God must have done this. Where does that come from? I think that comes from a wrong understanding of the sovereignty of God. That we think that God is behind every single little action that happens to happen on the earth. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But if you want to put a but after the statement, God is good, then you're not fully convinced yet of the goodness of God. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And it's a pure goodness. It's a holy goodness. See, in our world, we are sold a morality without holiness. 
Lots of people in today's world are vying for high moral ground. Like every political agenda out there tries to portray itself as a friend of humanity. Tries to portray itself as a solution to humanity. But oftentimes it's a morality that is not holy. And only God's morals are holy. And so if we try to live this world by trying to weigh up different systems of morality, we're in trouble. Like even what's going on in the Middle East right now. Massive group of people believe that that's morally justified. But is it morally justified by God's word? Because that's what defines good or not good. Because it's a moral standard of holiness, not just of human measure or human benefit. See, if there is no other standard that is above everything, if there is no standard that's higher than any human standard, then y'all, we're just, we're just lost. Because who's right? Why is your opinion more right than my opinion? Why is... I don't want to get political today, but you know what I'm saying. You know where I'm going with this. Why is that guy's opinion more right than this guy's opinion? And if we can connect our morality to the holiness of God, then your morality really is corrupt. It just is. And unfortunately, there isn't currently a system in this world where, 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 where that is allowed. None of our moral so-called advocates are holy. They're all trying to advocate for a morality that is not based on the word of God. Some try a little bit and they think they got it going, but they also don't fully. For us as human beings, we have to understand that God's goodness is the standard of goodness. God's holiness is the standard of goodness. And, um, that makes him the, the standard against which everything else is measured, right? And that's important. So first thing here is that there is an enemy and he's out to discredit the church. The second thing and second reality that we live inside, and there's two aspects to this, is that the world we live in is broken and it doesn't operate according to God's perfect design anymore. Do you realize the ramifications of this reality? That we're living in a broken world that doesn't operate according to God's design. Perfectly. It's broken. And so there are things that happens that God never wants to happen. And it doesn't impact his sovereignty. Let me show you why. Let's talk about this first. The first aspect of it is that people choose to disobey God. Have you chosen to disobey God? I've chosen to disobey God. People choose to disobey God. Our disobedience have consequences. It has consequences in our health. It has consequences in our finances. It has consequences in our mental health. It has consequences in our relationships. Our disobedience simply has consequences. And so often people are blaming God's sovereignty for something that was just a bad choice that they had made. This is the reality that we live in. When people choose to follow an evil spirit as their God, 
and this evil spirit just wants to always make war, then we will have war. And there's nothing you can do about it until people's hearts change. Until the gospel comes and transforms people's hearts, that is what's going to be the natural course of life. Elon Musk posted a, a thing on, on, on Twitter, X. He said, how can we attain world peace? And I just, I was so proud of all the Christians on there that said, only in Christ Jesus. There's only one way that world peace will ever be a reality, and that is if people, people's hearts change, if Christ becomes the ruler of people's hearts. But that also leaves a massive reality <laughs> for us to, 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 to accept that until that happens, we're going to have wars. We're going to have fights. Things are not going to go the way that God wants it to go because people choose to disobey God. Here's another thing. When governments decide to go to war against your wishes, you're still impacted by it. You might not like the decisions that your government makes. Trust me, I don't like the decisions my South African government is currently making. The only way I can help that is by following my civil duty into trying to get better parties with better hearts voted into power. But until such time, our country is going in the wrong direction fast. It impacts me. And I'm not guilty for it. But it impacts me. Can I blame God for it? I can't blame God for it. People chose to disobey God. And I'm a victim of that. Yes, I am. So am I going to just let that overrun me? Or when I realize that this world is broken, but I serve a good God, can I start asking a different question? You see, this doesn't impact the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty means that he determined how this universe will operate and the final outcomes of it. Um, and as a result of his continued input and influence upon humanity, God will guide the ultimate outcome to the end. But it also means that God created and designed us with an ability to go against his wishes. And some might ask why he did that is because if he did not do that, he would not be able to have authentic relationship with us. If you can't tell somebody, no, it's not relationship. It's forced. God wanted humanity to be in a sincere love relationship with him. And so he had to give us a choice to, to reject it. In doing so, we also have the choice to reject him for good, to reject his ways and will for good. And that leads to people disobeying God. When we disobey God, there are unfortunately are consequences. When other people disobey God, there are often un deserved consequences, but they are nonetheless consequences of man's decisions. But this means that there are many decisions on earth that goes against his desire, but it's not outside of his design. He designed us with authority, but he does not desire us to use that authority against him. He desires us to use that authority to build with him, to con contribute to what he is doing and to come alongside him and partner with him and co-labor with him in his kingdom 
And that is what we are doing. And that what you are doing by saying yes to Jesus and saying yes to walking your life in letting him transform your view of your purpose so that you can start whatever you do in work, as we spoke about the last couple of weeks, also be a contributor to what he is doing in this world. The second aspect of this broken world is just that the actual nature is broken. The biology of this place is broken and our lives are often impacted by just pure biological facts, natural facts, DNA that's messed up and people and, 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 and so bad genetics can have a massive impact on your life. People get born imperfectly with, 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 with missing limbs and missing chemistry that causes them to have hardship in this life. And the worst thing you can tell that person is that God wanted you this way. Because in the short term, you think it might give him comfort, but in the long term, that causes him to doubt the goodness of God. But the truth is that this world is broken and things in this world is going wrong. But God can still redeem any situation that you find yourself in. Any hand that this world dealt you, God can still work inside of it to create goodness and glory out of it. Sometimes babies die prematurely. Sometimes for no apparent reason. And the worst thing you can say to that mom is that God wanted them back in heaven. No. That's a travesty. It's a tragedy of this broken world. But within it, you know, God can restore. Within it, God can bring about something that will be good. And will, you will be able to glorify him through that. We need to be careful how we try to you know, console people by misunderstanding the sovereignty of God. Because when you tell somebody like that, uh, somebody who lost a child, we lost uh, one of our pregnancies. Listen, this was God's will. You think in the, in the, in the, in the short term, oh, that's going to bring comfort to them. That's going to bring devastation to me. Why would God take my child? No, God did not take my child. This world is broken and my child died. As a result of imperfections and things not going perfectly according to his plan. But now a good God stands next to me and says to me, in this bad situation that this broken world has dealt you, I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to bring good out of this. Stay faithful to me. Stay close to me. And I will guide you into life. I will guide you into restoration. Here's another thing that happens in this world. We make mistakes. People make mistakes. Like, and sometimes we go, oh, you know what? Um, I came into an accident because, you know, God wanted me to make my life right with him. A car accident. Sorry, I, just, I didn't mean to. <laughs> that was actually planned before. He spoke to me about a friend of his. That is, careful how you, how you relate this back to him. No, God did not mean for you to have that accident. Life happened. Maybe you didn't put your blinker on. Maybe you drove too fast. But those were your decisions, not God's. Those were your mistakes, not God's. Don't blame God for what happened. But look, when God starts speaking to you in the midst of that and says to you, come to me, 
He's using a bad situation for your good and for his glory. He's not the one causing the bad situation. James 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let me jump quickly as I end to the last point. The third reality that remains true in this world is that God is still greater than this world. God is still greater than this world. In John 4, 4, it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. We might have an enemy out to get us, and this world might have many things that go wrong because of its brokenness. But it says in John, 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God, that they overcome the world. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? It's our faith. It's our trust in the goodness of God. It's our view that Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Another translation says it like this, in all things God works for the good. In all things, in you losing, in you getting sick, in you making a mistake, God steps into our mess and he starts working and he starts influencing and he starts getting things in order so that that thing might not destroy us but we will he will walk us out of it and it will eventually benefit us things could go wrong sometimes royally but God is good and in the midst of it he will start working for your goodness he will start working for your solutions and if you keep the faith in him in place you'll be able to stand under the pressure of that curveball you'll be able to stand under the 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 the, the pressure of the mess and stay faithful to him stay faithful to his journey and that will lead you back into victory and back into overcoming so hebrews 4 16 says this let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Don't turn against God when things go wrong. Turn to God because He's the solution to the problem, not the cause of it. Don't look to God and think of Him as the creator of your chaos. No, He's the cause of your chaos. No, He's the creator of your victory. So what should we say of all these things? Romans 8.31 if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. We serve a good God, y'all. And I know we are going through many things, and many of us are facing trials, and many of us are, are tempted sometimes to want to think that, you know, maybe God just has some grand plan that He's working out. No, God has a grand plan, but His desire was not for you to experience that. However, in the midst of your experience, his grand plan won't be compromised if you stay in trust, if you stay convicted about His goodness, if you stay faithful to believing that He's going to lead you through it. Amen? Let's all stand together as we pray today. Heavenly Father, we commit to trusting in Your goodness. You're a good, good Father. It's who You are. And because You are good, God, You've included us into Your family. 
And God, I know that we are, as a church family, experiencing many things right now, different things. But in all those things, we praise you. In all those things, we count it a joy to know that you are walking us through it. And the eventual result will be our own growth and our own walking over and above what we're facing. Thank you that you draw close to us in times of trouble and that you are near the brokenhearted because you're a good, good father. We receive you as that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.